Well, I'm a techno optimist. I do think technology has helped advance a lot of what I consider to be progressive goals. So for example, think about the Me Too movement, like powered by the ability to post a video instantaneously on Twitter or Facebook. Think about even like racial justice activism, George Floyd's murder, like all of that was enabled by a world where we don't have the traditional media gatekeepers anymore. And I think people sometimes forget like that is a big benefit. Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am really, really excited to speak with Adam Kavekovich. He's the founder and CEO of Chamber of Progress, a new center-left tech industry policy coalition promoting technology's progressive future. Adam is a veteran Democratic tech industry leader who has had a front row seat for more than 20 years in the tech industry's political maturation. He's an expert in helping to lead technology companies through today's very challenging political environment. I invited him on Tech Intersect to talk about all of that and more. But first, Adam, welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this conversation because I think this is a really great time at the beginning of any year to take stock of where we've been in the past, kind of figure out where we are. I know from my perspective as a policy and education consultant and educator in the space, I'm focused on policy and education in the blockchain and crypto space. What I love about your work and what we'll speak about more is really just from a broader lens, because there's a lot of technology. There's a lot of progress, sometimes lack thereof, but there's a lot on the plate as we figure out the future of work and wealth and creativity. So first, I would love for you to share with the listeners what the Chamber of Progress is and how you found your way to the Chamber. Sure. Well, it's really born of my experience starting my career in democratic politics and then moving to the tech industry. So I worked on Capitol Hill for really pro-tech Democrats, some of the centrist Democrats from the Clinton and Gore years, and then ended up moving to the tech sector where I worked for Google for a dozen years in Google's Washington office. And I always sort of felt as a proud Democrat that I think Democrats always kind of viewed tech as kind of like, you know, their industry, right? <laughs> like it was a, right. like technology. I think like you look at Barack Obama was very kind of um, tech forward. I think he called himself once like the Google of presidential candidates. You can kind of see that. <laughs> yes. And and so I think for a long time that there was a, sort of a techno optimism among a lot of democratic policymakers. And I really think in some ways that began to shift a little bit once Trump was elected. I think some policymakers started viewing tech, the tech industry more negatively and just having more questions about how the industry operates, should it be regulated more? And I think those are sort of natural questions, given that the tech industry has become really big, powerful, influential, it has a lot of influence over people's lives. It does make sense that we should have a degree of regulation over tech. But then the question is what? What kind of regulation? Let's debate that. 
And I think for any new technology, there's always kind of this peak of inflated expectations where, you know, you talked about blockchain, you know, a year ago, people were talking about blockchain is going to change everything. And now, you know, we've had the FTX fraud, we've had a lot of stablecoin meltdowns. And, and some people say, well, now it's sort of crypto is in the trough of disillusionment, right? <laughs> people say it's terrible. <laughs> well, I sort of think every new technology, it's neither as great or as bad as most people say, right? And what we should try to do with every new technology is try to really capture and ensure the good that that new technology can do, but also cabin and limit the excesses and the abuses. And so that to me is where the kind of the fun of these policy debates around technology really are. That's a really important point when I think of the inevitability of various iterations, certainly of the internet or any technology. You are moving fast, particularly in the entrepreneur realm. You break things, you iterate. Some things that are front runners fall behind. Some things we never saw coming actually take center stage. And it is the natural evolution of progress, which is really what we're leaning into. And I think it is an important point to prepare the space so that it is safe both for the advent of innovation, but also obviously for consumers, investors, and those building in the space. And we certainly have seen that with the crypto contagion of 2022. What are some, as you analogize between perhaps the lessons we continue to learn from the FTX debacle and other areas of technology? Are there some similarities, differences? It, it makes me think of electronic vehicles and AI and all of those things. So your thoughts on that? I truly believe almost every new technology goes to this hype cycle. And and this was sort of popularized by the the consulting firm Gartner. They call this the Gartner hype cycle. But, you know, before starting this, for example, I worked at the scooter company Lime. And Mm. one of the things I noticed is that we'd go through this hype cycle in every new city we went to. So we'd launch the scooters in a city and the first day, there'd be a press conference with the mayor, and they'd be excited. The, pre- the scooters are here. It's going to be great. It's going to transform the way we get around town. Okay, great. And then a week later, somebody would start throwing the scooters into a river, <laughs> or, they'd, or they'd leave them on right. the sidewalk, right? And then all of a sudden, you're in this trough of disillusionment. People would say, these things are terrible. I can't believe we ever allow these. They're awful, right? And actually, very interestingly, there is data to show that the peak of public complaints about scooters in many cities were in that first month, right? And then they just level off, right? And so then you sort of, we had to spend a lot of time saying, well, no, don't kick the scooters out of town, regulate them, put in place rules about safe parking and where they should be ridden and speed limits and all that kind of stuff. And so now I think most people think of scooters as kind of like, okay, there's another part of this urban transportation mix. There may be not as transformative as maybe once they were hyped to be, but not nearly as bad as people think. I think the same is true for crypto. I think the same is true for autonomous vehicles. The same is true for delivery drones. The same is true for you know almost everything. And I think in some ways, the life cycle of every technology is to almost this big, it's almost inevitable. You have that peak of hype, you have the abuse moment, and then you can sort of get to a normal stage where you get regulated essentially like every other industry. So I, I just think that's a normal thing. And I worry about policymakers, especially overreacting to the abuses. Right by prohibiting the thing, right? Especially since it's hard to know early on how this thing is going to be positive or potentially transformative. Right. It does make me think of, and I'll again, use the example of cryptographically secured assets. When I think of the cypherpunk 
libertarian ethos and spirit of having a completely set apart alternative to -to peer-to-peer cash that operates completely outside of the confines of business and government. But then you know that this disruptive technology is disrupting heavily regulated industries. Yes. And there's this moment of awakening that it's not possible. You can have the technology. There are many issues, uh, not issues, but uh, realities of decentralized protocols and peer-to-peer technology that just are. They're going to persist. Yes. But talk to us about what happens when new technology is disintermediating or disrupting heavily regulated industries and how to make sense of that. So I think about what happened in music, right? And so music is a kind of classic example because you had Kazaa and Napster as sort of these basically kind of piracy decentralized sites, and they were upsetting copyright law in that case, right, in music distribution. And they didn't survive because they were doing stuff that really was probably violative of copyright law. But what they did is they paved the way for Apple Music and Spotify, these licensed streaming regimes that have a subscriber subscription base. I feel the same way right now about crypto because, for example, you know, I think there there are anti-crypto policymakers like Elizabeth Warren, who were never for crypto, who are using the FTX fraud, and to be clear, it was fraud. That's correct. To justify their priors, right? She's not, nobody's changing their mind. She just says this proves what she's always felt about crypto. The right. worry that I have is that that we could end up strangling with decentralized technology that ends up being really cool. So for example, when Elon Musk took over Twitter last fall and a lot of people didn't like the decisions he was making, people migrated to Mastodon. Mastodon right. is a decentralized version of Twitter. It was launched seven or eight years ago. Mm. But if we had kind of killed decentralized technology in the cradle like that, we wouldn't have Mastodon as an alternative today. So I just think it's really important to sort of be optimistic. Maybe half of today's crypto Web3 companies flop or there's nothing to them. But man, what's going to survive and potentially what's going to lead to the next thing could be really cool and transformative. Yeah, I'm working on a book that is due in mere weeks. So I'm a frazzled mess, but also just really, really excited because it's called Digital Wealth decentralized or digital money decentralized and really debunking a lot of the myths, like the top 10 myths in the space. Actually, I was working on one chapter that there's only Bitcoin and not from a maximalist point of view, but literally people think Bitcoin's the only thing. And then the very next chapter is there's so many of them, who cares? They're all the same. And by same, we mean scam, right? So we go from one to 22,000 plus different types of coins and tokens. And All of the myths, the disinformation, misinformation, as we say, fear, uncertainty, and doubt really can cloud and confuse the space. I'm so concerned with influencers and carnival barkers. And so it makes a voice like yours and like mine even more important. So talk to us about how the chamber works to at least make the space more educated so that people make more informed decisions. Absolutely. So I think my belief about at least politics, particularly among Democrats, and it used to be true of Republicans, I'm not sure how true it is anymore, is that Mm -hmm. there is definitely a contingent of pretty skeptical voices who are pretty critical, who tend to think the worst of technology. So kind of almost like a, a latte liberal kind of mindset, which is essentially like, I distrust most of what technology companies, whether big or smaller startups are doing. I think it's mostly predatory. I think they're screwing people against Mm -hmm. their will, against their knowledge. I think it's also kind of this mindset requires sometimes 
a kind of dim view of human agency, <laughs> which mm. is to say like, oh, people are kind of sheep and they're getting you know screwed. I think about, for example, people checking the box for terms of service and things like that for new services. And of course, you know, most people don't read those. So I think there's something to that. But on the other right. hand, I do think actually people have a pretty savvy intuition about not getting something for nothing, right? So I think they know what they're getting. And so I do think that the vast majority of voters are not anti-innovation. They're actually pretty optimistic. Some of them are avid consumers of the new thing that comes along. And some of them want to see benefits of technology accrue more to them and their community. They like to see more tech jobs. So just for an example, one of the things that we did, we did a survey recently of midterm voters. And we asked, which is the closest to your view? Tech industry needs aggressive regulation. That was about 15%. On the other end of the spectrum, politicians keep your hands off, sort of a libertarian view. That was another 15%. But in the middle, about two-thirds of the voters said either they have some concerns about tech, but they like the convenience factor, or they have some concerns about tech and they want to see more tech jobs in their community. So I view that as like, you know, most voters are fundamentally pretty positive and optimistic towards tech. They're not anti-regulation. It's not a liber- kind right. of wild west libertarian. They're for common sense regulation, but they're not walking around feeling like they're getting screwed, you know, or, or inherently suspicious. That has always concerned me when I see tweets or policy papers come out from various offices that say how horrible this is for the black and brown community. And by this now I'm focusing on crypto, but we could use any technology that is having either there's some externality negatively impacting or something else. And I want to see the list of people who are actually calling like sometimes. Oh like, no, I completely agree. Right? You don't know. I always say, where was the march on Washington? Where are the people? Or, right, right. Right. I missed, must have missed that day, right? right. Where people were marching right. on Washington to say, yeah, regulate my crypto you know, right. account. Hey, yeah, I missed that day. Anyway. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Dr. Tanya M. Evans, author of Digital Money Demystified. And I want to let you know that to stay on the leading edge of any opportunity, especially investing, you have to empower yourself with the tools and resources needed to keep your knowledge and skills current. And if you're relying on last year's information or even last month's, look, you're already behind. Sure, you can try to figure this out on your own at YouTube University. The problem is it's difficult to separate fact from fiction with so many carnival barkers banking on your inexperience. And of course, there are the naysayers, usually from legacy finance, banking on your fear while they quietly help their high net worth clients to invest. All of it muddies the waters when all you want to know is how to get in safely, legally and competently so you're not left behind. That's why I wrote Digital Money Demystified, where I take the top 10 crypto myths head on and give you well-researched, well-supported facts to empower you to make good choices out there in the new digital cash economy. As a law professor who developed the first blockchain crypto and law online certificate program, a retail and corporate crypto policy and education trainer, and a thought leader appearing regularly on national media, I've done the heavy lifting so you don't have to. Look, there are plenty of books and courses on which crypto assets to invest in. Digital Money Demystified is the book you read before you dive into those. 
So head to digitalmoneydemystified.com to learn more and prepare for the future of money and wealth today. This is a good opportunity to segue into kind of the three pillars as I was spending some time in prep and getting to know the chamber a little better and thinking about these three pillars of economic, social, and consumer progress. And at the intersection of it, it's really, that's why I call the show Tech Intersect, this intersection of of business and technology, when we're focused like on the future of work, wealth, and creativity. And then I look back kind of past his prologue about what communities really benefit from the broader leaps in innovation as a matter of finance and technology. And so I'm very concerned about the existing systemic ills being replicated, even with the promise of full decentralization and access and inclusion. So I'm wondering your thoughts about that across the board as we look to the future with all of these various technological opportunities. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Well, I'm a techno-optimist. I do think technology has helped advance a lot of what I consider to be progressive goals. So, for example, think about the Me Too movement, like powered by the ability to post a video instantaneously on Twitter or Facebook. Think about even like racial justice activism, George Floyd's murder. Like all of that was enabled by a world where we don't have the traditional media gatekeepers anymore. And I think people sometimes forget like that is a big benefit. You know, when I was at Google, I worked on the Google Book Search Scanning Project. They scan millions of books in university libraries. And now you don't have to live next to a university library. You can just get all that online. So I think we sometimes, we take for granted the ways in which technology has helped bring down barriers to information. As I think it leads to a lot more um, comparison, shopping, all of that is, is a positive. But having mm-hmm. said that, I am not a pure free marketeer. I want to be clear about that because I do think there is absolutely a role that government should play. For example, the broadband investments that were in the president's first sort of big infrastructure bill, really important, right? Right. During COVID, you had people camping outside of libraries so that they could fill out unemployment applications, job applications from the from the public Wi-Fi. That's just that's sad that we shouldn't that shouldn't be happening in this country, right? So we need investment there. You need investments in things like autonomous vehicle manufacturing, right? We should be creating autonomous vehicles and building them in this country. I'm kind of for industrial policy, but frankly, I'm also think most people in the tech industry would be happy to pay higher taxes in exchange for a more robust social safety net. I think a lot of people in the tech industry are generally kind of, maybe they're economically a little bit free market, but they're actually pretty pro social safety net, kind of almost the kind of Scandinavian style politics. So I do think that that's something where there's a huge opportunity to do much more Look, you talk, I think you mentioned earlier, you talk about gig work, you know, having more of a system of portable benefits that maybe move with you that aren't so job tied. All of that, I right. think, is stuff where government can play a, a more active role, too. What do you see on the horizon as a matter of policy? We're entering this new Congress. Finally, we have it standing up. I think it's standing up and moving forward. There's so many bills 
maybe in subcommittees, committees on the horizon, what are some of the bills that you are looking out for that could have a positive, negative impact on the next wave of technology? Wow. I wish I could be more optimistic about Congress, but I'm not. And I think that's because we are a pretty divided country. And I think the makeup of Congress and the divisions in Congress probably reflect that. But I think one of the big things about Congress right now is that a lot of the Republican Party's focus is really on cultural issues, social issues. And, and some of it is kind of grievance driven, right? And so I think there's a lot of energy there on the right behind scoring, a, you know, going after the libs, owning the libs in a way that gets you on Fox News right. at night. There are still some kind of Republicans interested in like policy making. So I don't want to paint with a complete broad brush, but I think in general, mm -hmm. I see Democrats a little bit more interested in policy making. We've, you know, we've had a robust last two years under kind of democratic rule with a lot of policy making. You can agree or disagree with a lot of stuff Congress did or Biden did, right. but the fact is it was a very productive time in terms of all the stuff that got done, rebuild the economy, inflation reduction, all that's really important. So unfortunately, I think when we have divided Congress like we have now, we're going to have more point scoring and less actual doing. Having said that, I do think there are areas that are potential uniters. One, I think Republicans and Democrats can definitely agree on the need to beat China economically. <laughs> and so I think that drives a lot of things. We're going to have a big, robust conversation probably about TikTok, what to do about that. We'll probably have a conversation about how do we take what Congress did last year with this Chips and Science Act and maybe apply it to other sectors. We shouldn't fall behind on things like autonomous vehicles, advanced, other advanced technology where China, electric vehicles, they're eating our lunch on electric vehicles. So we need to be probably thinking about much more like how do we make investments to create more abundance of these things here in the US. So I think those would be unifiers. I think there's also potential unifiers around things like consumer privacy. That's a big unifier. But then there's other issues where like online speech and content moderation, what the Republicans and Democrats want is vastly the opposite of each other. So there's not, there's not really right. any room for agreement there. Listen, I'm um, cautiously optimistic about all of those things. And I'm a firm believer in finding those areas of synergy to at least get that done. So time will tell. Talk to us, final question about the role that the chamber will play in protecting the space to really calibrate that balance that we talked about earlier between the robust support of innovation to keep America on pace or ahead, while also protecting um, citizens as well. Yeah, I think our interest is we want to show there's there's a middle path between thinking government should be completely hands off and thinking that government should, you know, squash new technology and tech industry into the the carpet like a bug or something like that. I think there is a middle right. ground, which is to say to generally be optimistic, but to listen for what the pain points are for consumers, right? I think some of that doesn't happen. And I sort of think about many years ago, there was a moment, I really remember this clearly where I think it was 2008, there were a lot of people getting on airplanes and they would sit on the tarmac of these airports for like three hours, right? And that whole summer, there's all these outraged airline passengers demanding that Congress do something about this. The FAA ended up passing a three-hour rule. You can only be on the tarmac for three hours before you tell passengers what to do or you turn around. And it instantly solved the problem. So here you had an example of consumers feeling a particular point of pain, policymakers responding, problem solved. That's the way government should work. I don't see yet consumers saying, I don't see that working as well as it should. I think they are saying that with, for example, with respect to consumer privacy legislation, that hasn't happened. But there's other examples where Congress, I think, is acting on stuff that's not really 
a source of consumer concern, as you said earlier. So I'm interested in tech policymaking becoming much more like what we see policymaking in other areas look like, where you see consumers and voters saying, we're experiencing this pain and damn it, Congress, we want you to do something about it. That's fantastic. I have to have you back. We need to check in like once a quarter to see who's like, we Sounds were horribly great. misguided or, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. <laughs> Kovacovich, please tell folks how to stay in touch with you and your work and learn more about the Progressive Chamber. Sure. Well, I'm on Twitter at, at Adam Kovac and we are organization Chamber Progress is at progresschamber.org online. Excellent. Adam, thank you so much for joining me. And you are now a member of the Tech Intersect family. Wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to the Tech Intersect podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you love it, please tell the world. If not, go ahead and tell me. And in either case, drop a comment or ping me on social media at IPProfEvans with the hashtag Tech Intersect. And finally, a quick reminder on digital safety. There are a lot of scammers out there impersonating me and others, and I need your help. Now hear this. And remember, I will never slide into your DMs to say peace and blessings or hey, and I will never reach out to solicit your time or your money on social media like ever. I'm not a trader. I am an educator and an attorney licensed in four states. Thank you very much. I'm here to inform, inspire, and empower. No cap and definitely no forex. So be careful, make good choices. And remember, I developed an entire free masterclass about the topic of digital safety in the crypto space. So check out secureyourcryptobag.com for more information. That's secureyourcryptobag.com. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine.